Hello, I'm Barrister Daniel Barnett, and welcome to episode 75 of Employment Law Matters. In this episode, you'll learn about three recent cases on unfair dismissal. First of all, why you shouldn't suspend employees as a knee-jerk reaction to misconduct. Second, when you can dismiss someone who's been convicted of a crime. And third, when the knowledge of one manager can be attributed to the employer for unfair dismissal purposes. Now, this week's episode is actually a short extract from one of our regular monthly audio seminars for members of the HR Inner Circle, the membership club I run for smart, ambitious HR professionals. Here's what member Serbai Gassane from the LEBC group has to say. The HR Inner Circle involves talking to other HR professionals and learning from them. The audio seminars are a great way to build your own library of resources when you need it. Above all, you're always on top of the discussions that are happening within the HR world. Find out more about the HR Inner Circle at www.hrinnercircle.co.uk and if you join now you'll get a free copy of my new book on resolving grievances which publishes in january 2021 and now three recent cases on unfair dismissal welcome to employment law matters with barrister daniel barnett we've discussed in the past that suspension is not a neutral act and that Employers should be cautious about suspension being a knee-jerk reaction. Some employers still automatically suspend employees accused of misconduct while they investigate the allegations. Often, employers don't object because they don't want to create any more tension when they're already the subject of a disciplinary. But sometimes, employees who think the suspension is excessive or unfair may resign and claim constructive dismissal. Rather unusually, in Harrison against Barking, Havering and Redbridge NHS Trust, the claimant brought a claim in the High Court for an injunction to stop what she said was an unfair suspension. The claimant was the Deputy Head of Legal Services at the Barking, Havering and Redbridge NHS Trust. She was called to a meeting where she was told that there were concerns about the way she handled a clinical negligence case. She was suspended during that meeting and escorted from the premises. About a week later, she was signed off sick with stress and prescribed antidepressants. Sometime later, the trust asked to return to work on very restricted duties. She refused. She was suspended again, this time for a failure to follow a reasonable management instruction. She brought a claim in the High Court for an injunction to stop the suspension and return to most of her normal duties. She was willing to voluntarily agree not to do any more clinical negligence casework. And the High Court granted the interim injunction, finding that there were strong grounds for arguing that the suspension breached the implied term of mutual trust and confidence. There was no reasonable or proper cause for suspending her, and so no justification for restricting most of her duties. This is from the judgment, I'm quoting, the criticisms of the claimant's inquest and medico-legal work purporting to justify a restriction of her duties had been made after the decision to suspend. Now, injunctions are are really rare in employment cases. I've only ever done a handful of them, and that's a lot compared to most employment barristers. But even so, this case should serve as a reminder to employers of the risks associated with a knee-jerk suspension, especially when it's the deputy head of legal services that you're looking to suspend. 
ACAS recommends suspension should only happen in misconduct cases where the allegation is serious and where there's been a severe breakdown of the working relationship or there's some other risk, such as the employee interfering with evidence or interfering with witnesses. Employers should always consider other options first, such as a temporary team move or different hours of work. Disciplinaries for employees who've been charged with or convicted of a crime have to be handled sensitively. It's well established that an employer doesn't need to wait for the outcome of the police investigation before conducting their own internal investigation into the allegations. It's important to conduct your own reasonable investigation before making any decision to dismiss and not just to rely on the police investigation. In cases where an employee is charged with a crime, that should involve seeking additional information rather than acting solely on the decision to prosecute. Employers also should consider options other than dismissal as part of any decision-making process. The ACAS code here says, I quote, If an employee is charged with or convicted of a criminal offence, this is not normally in itself reason for disciplinary action. Consideration needs to be given to what effect the charge or conviction has on the employee's suitability to do the job and their relationship with their employer, work colleagues and customers. So in a case called Lafferty and Nuffield Health, the Employment Appeal Tribunal recently looked at whether it's fair to dismiss an employee who'd been charged with a crime. The claimant was a porter at a charitable organisation. He had over 20 years' service and a clean disciplinary record. Among other things, he was responsible for transporting anaesthetised patients. He was charged with a serious sexual assault outside of and unrelated to work. He denied the charges and he was released on bail. The respondent suspended him on full pay while they carried out their investigation. And following their investigation, they decided the risk to their reputation was too great should he be found guilty, given the access his role gave him to vulnerable patients. And they dismissed him with notice. He brought a claim for unfair dismissal. The tribunal held his dismissal was fair for some other substantial reason. The Employment Appeal Tribunal agreed, but emphasised it was fact-dependent and should be judged on a case-by-case basis. It was relevant here the employer operated in a sector which had been under intense scrutiny due to employees committing sexual offences. Now here the respondent conducted a thorough investigation before deciding to dismiss. They contacted both the claimant and the police to request further information about the charges They discovered no trial date had been set, so decided against suspension on full pay because it wasn't financially viable as a charity to continue payment indefinitely. So even though the claimant had not been convicted at the point of the dismissal, the risk of severe reputational damage justified the dismissal and it was within the range of reasonable responses. Now, it's important to remember in this case that the employee was dismissed because of potential reputational damage, not because the employer thought he was guilty of an offence. The employee's job provided the opportunity to commit the kind of offence he was charged with, but that won't always be the case. So the Employment Appeal Tribunal gave the example of an employee who's charged with a criminal driving offence 
but employed in a role which involves no driving. In that case, continuing to employ the employee would be unlikely to result in reputational damage. So some things to consider here. Three things. Number one, is the employee now less suitable for or legally prevented from doing their job? Number two, has there been or will there be a negative effect on your employees or on others associated with your organisation? Clients, customers, suppliers, sponsors, funders, shareholders. And third, is your reputation at risk? Now, if you'd like to look at this in a bit more detail, my big lesson of the month in the May 2019 edition of the Inner Circular takes you through this in a lot more detail. And you can find the full back catalogue of Inner Circular magazines in the vault at the members area of www.hrinnercircle.co.uk. Now, last year, the Supreme Court decided that knowledge of a manager other than the dismissing officer can be attributed to the employer when establishing the reason for dismissal. That's the case of Royal Mail and Duty, where the real reason for dismissal, whistleblowing, was hidden from the dismissing officer and the employee was brought up on trumped-up charges. The Employment Appeal Tribunals now looked at whether the knowledge of another manager can be attributed to the employer in deciding whether they acted reasonably in dismissing an employee. So we're now looking at the Section 98.4 test, not the reason for the dismissal. In Uddin against London Borough of Ealing, the case I'm talking about, the claimant was dismissed following allegations of inappropriate sexual behaviour towards a colleague in a bar and also for bringing the company into disrepute. After all, why not hang that one on? Because you can. The colleague initially reported the incident to the police but the allegation was subsequently withdrawn. The investigating officer knew the complaint had been withdrawn, but didn't tell the dismissing officer about this. And the question for the tribunals whether or not that took the decision to dismiss outside the range of reasonable responses. The tribunal held the dismissal was fair because the claimant could have been fairly dismissed even without the police complaint. The Employment Appeal Tribunal disagreed. The dismissing officer took the police complaint into account. She said she would have asked more questions if she'd known the complaint had been withdrawn. The knowledge of the investigating officer was relevant and it was hidden from the dismissing officer. This made the dismissal unfair. It doesn't really matter to employers which part of the legal test is affected when a dismissing officer isn't given all the relevant information by an investigating officer. The important point is it matters both in relation to the reason for dismissal and the fairness of the dismissal overall. This is yet another reason why I'm a big fan of not having separate investigation and disciplinary stages. Come out of the 1970s, unless you're on a uh, public sector employer or you have a collective agreement which requires separate stages, come out of the 1970s and have one person do the investigation and take the decision. 
Thank you so much for listening. I hope you found that useful. That was an extract from one of our regular audio seminars for the HR Inner Circle, www.hrinnercircle.co.uk. Now, please do leave a review for Employment Law Matters on the Apple Podcast Store or subscribe if you don't already subscribe. We do like those five-star reviews. I have just started a YouTube channel with a ton of employment law and other legal content up there. You can have a look and subscribe at bit.ly slash YouTube legal bit.ly slash YouTube legal. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Barrister Daniel Barnett from Outer Temple Chambers. Bye bye. Any information on this podcast is for general guidance only. Always seek legal advice. Please see full terms at www.danielbarnett.co.uk forward slash podcast terms.